to our sermon series starting point. In this sermon series, we are considering how the gospel has to be the foundation for us if we are going to live a life on purpose, if we're going to press into what matters most, which is loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So um, we're going to continue journeying through this series. Um, the big idea that we're going to hone in on is this. Only through the gospel do we receive a new heart. So, I'm going to read to you Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Check this out. It's similar to the passage that Brandon read. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is God talking to his people. And you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. All right, so there are several questions we're going to answer this morning. So what is the heart? Uh, we'll start there why we need a new heart, how can we get one, and I'm adding a fourth one from recommendation from my friend Billy here, uh, why would we want a new one, right? Does that work? I think that's it, yeah. So I'm still writing my sermon, so here, here, here we go. Uh, what is the heart? I think it's, if we're going to talk about a new, new heart, we've got to be clear on it, and, I, and I'll tell you what the heart is based on what the Old and New Testament tells us it is. It is the inner, invisible part of us, that immaterial part of us, in which we do all of our thinking, feeling, choosing, decision-making, um, discernment between what is right and wrong. This is our heart. This is where we do all those things. In more fancier words, it's our intellectual and emotional, moral and volitional center. Um, I like to think of the heart as the command center of the person because it's de it determines what you do with your body, it determines what you do with your mind, it determines what you seek, what goals you set, it determines how you handle difficulty, how you handle triumph, it determines how you relate to others and that's why Proverbs 4.23 says keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. The NLT puts that same verse this way. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. That's why Jesus said in Luke 6.45, For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Your life starts in your heart. It's the command center of your life. And there's a direct correlation, a one-to-one -one correlation, between the quality of your heart and the quality of the fruit that your life produces. Now, a new heart. Let's go to the second question. Why is it needed? Well, how does the Bible talk about the quality of the human heart? Does the Bible say that it is like neutral, neither good or bad? Does it say that it's generally good and just needs some touch-up work? What does the Bible have to say about the human heart? This is what it says. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The human heart is desperately wicked, is what the Bible tells us. Um, 
desperately means like to the extreme. So the human heart is extremely wicked. It also says not only that, but it's deceitful above all things. So barring Satan, because he's the father of lies, there's nothing else more deceptive, more misrepresenting the truth than the human heart. Right? Now, this is directly opposed to what our modern culture tells us. Our modern culture is constantly telling us that your heart is good. And in your heart, you'll find the deepest truth to live by. And so we even have parents that will tell their kids, look, I don't care what you do, you know, when you move out and you become an adult so long as you are following your heart. That's what we tell our kids. Now, to tell the modern person that their heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, I think the typical person finds that very offensive, right? What do you mean? What do you mean? Now, if you honestly think about this, what is right, the Bible or the modern mindset? And I think if, if you just think about it for a few minutes and, and we're just going to do it, it becomes very clear that the Bible is right. Let's just start with this. The wickedness of the human heart is seen in the atrocities human commit. For example, genocide is one of those just horrible, horrible atrocities, right? Um, and... and when we think of these atrocities, it's really easy for us to be like, well, there's only a few really evil people like that, and generally the rest of us are pretty good people, right? You gotta be careful if you think that. And actually, if you think that, it just shows you the deceptive nature of your own heart. Because here's what a woman who did, she covered the trial of Adolf Eichmann. He was the Nazi official that was charged with you know, figuring out a way to exterminate the Jews. And so this lady, Hannah Arendt, who covered it, um, she was, she wrote a, an article in the New Yorker and she was trying to answer the question, like, why do people commit so much evil? And why, what's different about those people versus the people that don't commit, you know, horrible atrocities? And this is the profound thing that she discovered. The guy, Adolf, who was in charge, not Adolf Hitler, but the guy who worked for Hitler, that was in charge of the extermination of the Jews, when this guy came on trial, she was expecting to see like an absolute monster of a person, right? Like when this guy came into the courtroom, like he would just be this visible, downright monster. She was shocked to find that he was a completely normal man, more normal at any rate than I am after examining him. He wasn't the monster that she had visualized. And the point that she is making is that we think it's these horrible monsters that you know, just commit all these atrocities when actually, you know what? It's, they're just normal human beings that have a wicked and deceitful heart. In the moment we think we are beyond doing, committing a great evil, that's when we know we're desperately <clears throat> deceived and our heart is desperately wicked. Because often what is keeping us from doing immense evil is we have not been given the right opportunities or the right conditions to um, really do something we shouldn't. 
I, this also makes me think of too. I heard a lady who spoke it, and she was she went through the African genocide um, there in Rwanda, and it was a shock to her that the people that were doing the crime were her neighbors that she was good friends with. Just normal, normal people. You see, we all have the potential for great evil um, inside of us. All right, so let's go to. How else do we know that wickedness is the human heart? So let's go to the things we know we should do as humans but don't do. So you might think, well, I've never murdered anybody or I've never, you know, I don't know, whatever horrible thing you can think of. I've never abused people. Uh, But here's the thing. You know lying is wrong. You prove it because you get upset when people lie to you and yet you do the very same thing. You know that gossiping is wrong, and you prove you know it's wrong because you get upset when somebody gossips about you, but you do the same thing. Amen. You know that, uh, for example, being ungenerous um, is wrong, and you are upset when people lack generosity towards you, and yet you're stingy with others. I saw that we were fishing this on Sunday. What's Saturday morning? No, check this out. This is the wickedness of the human heart. Uh, guys fishing, we're passing them in the boat. How are you doing? You know, oh, I caught, I had two on, caught one little one, and Elijah's like, what, did, what were you using? You know, wacky rig, so that's the worm, you know, the, the rig he had going on. And then, like, a moment later, I caught a big old bass. And the guy asked, what were you using? I didn't want to tell him. <laughs> I told him, but my impulse in my heart was like, no, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be stingy with my information, as if there's not enough fish to go around and God isn't, like, good and generous, right? Like, look, you can't stand when somebody just blows up in anger against you, right? Flies off the handle. You prove you know it's wrong because it bothers you and you know it's not right, and yet you do the very same thing. Oh, our hearts are desperately wicked. If you still don't believe what the Bible has to say, think of children. I know we deify children in our American culture, and, but every parent knows that they are deceitful and desperately wicked. And that's not, I mean, it sounds like a joke. That is not a joke, and you know it, parents. <clears throat> Because you don't have to tell them to lie. You don't have to teach them to do it. You don't have to teach them to be deceitful. You don't have to teach them to be self-absorbed. You don't have to teach them to do any of these things that are just wicked. Um, Bless our workers. They're experiencing that right now in the basement probably. (laughs) And here's the worst part about our wicked hearts. Is that they... They oppose God. The human heart is naturally opposed to God. It doesn't want God. It doesn't seek God. It doesn't want anything to do with God. Um, We just don't naturally. That's not our desire. And here's the thing. The more we sin, the more hard and deceitful and wicked our heart becomes. John Owen, writing about the human heart and the deceitfulness of it back in the 1600s, he says this, and I think it's so phenomenal. 
The human heart abounds in contradictions. Sin has laid such a hold on the faculties of the heart that it has corrupted all of them, causing them to act in ways outside their created order in harmonious workings. The mind was designed to discover the truth, the emotions and affections to set themselves on the beauty of the truth, and the will to perform the truth out of love for God. But sin has entered, and a beautiful creation has been seriously marred. We still have all these faculties, but they seldom function according to their design. Check this out. Sometimes the affections get the sovereignty. That is, they run off into sin, and only later the mind recognizes the error. At other times, they, the, the will refuses to love and obey the truth the mind discovers. There are also times in which the mind is too weak to investigate truth, even though the emotions are crying out for it. The will is waiting for it, and the conscience is demanding it. The mind and the reason were in perfect subjection and subordination to God and His will. That being disturbed by sin, the rest of the faculties move cross and contrary to one another. They will chooseth not the good which the mind discovers. The affections delight not in that which the will chooseth. Choose death. Left. But all jar and interfere across and rebel against each other. This we have got by our falling from God. And so what Owen is saying is like our will, our thoughts, our affections, they're all just all over the place. And one and here the will maybe wants to do what it you know the right thing, but yet the affections are keeping it, and then it's vice versa, and it's just all over the place. Our hearts are desperately Wicked, messed up. Ecclesiastes 9.3, and, and this is why the author states right here, this is an evil in all that is done under, there's an evil, I think it's supposed to be there's an evil in all that is done under the sun. The one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Uh, a philosopher and, and theologian, uh, G.K. Chesterton, he was once asked by a London newspaper uh, to join uh, other authors and, and leading thinkers to address the question, what's wrong with the world? And his response to the paper was this, Dear Sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the screw tape letters and who was being praised for his insight into the human heart and his insight into the temptation of sin and evil on the human heart, he was asked, like, how did you get such great understanding? And he responded, like, basically, the evil's inside of me from my own wretched experience, right? So... Hopefully you believe you're in need of a new heart. Now the question becomes, how do we get it? By the way, because we have this wicked heart, if God wiped out all the evil in the world and only you remain, evil would still be there because it's inside of you. See, the problem isn't all the people out there. The problem is in you and the problem is you. But we love to pass it off as it's their fault, their problem. Right. All right, a new heart. How do we get it? Um, because the human heart is so um, wicked and it loves to justify its actions. Uh, what can we do about it? Like, 
So some people, and what's interesting is that in our world, in our day and age, there's like no wrong and no right. Only thing that's wrong is if you don't determine what is right for you, that's the only right thing. And so people really don't, you know, they're being told that really anything they do, as long as it works for them, is okay. And yet, even though they're being told that, they still feel like something is not right in them. And they don't know what to do with it. They know. They know deep in something's not right. Do they know the depth of their sin and their wickedness? I don't think so. And so what ends up happening is people try self-help. All right, I know something's not right with me. Um, and I guess I'm going to do something about it. And so the self-help industry, it's like a 13 point something billion dollar industry. And it increases in six, you know, by 6% every year. More than ever, people are signing up for master classes and you know, getting involved in gyms and, you know, to try and improve themselves. Here's the problem with self-help. Who is in charge of the process? You. And what do we learn about you? You have a deceitful, wicked heart, and you're relying on that heart to improve yourself. That just doesn't make any sense. Right? Another approach that people take is religion, right? I, there's something wrong with me. Not, I don't know the depths of it, but I can sense it. Even though the world's telling me whatever you do is right, I know something's not right. And so I'm going to try religion. And what religion does is it gives you good advice of things you can do to improve yourself, right? Here's the thing with religion. This is what it will lead to. Either you're going to try and do and adhere to that advice that religion gives you, and you're going to feel crushed because you, you're never measuring up to it, or you'll have a little bit of success, and you'll become prideful and arrogant at your minimal progress. That's where religion leads us. So if self-help and if religion is not the answer, how do we really truly get a new heart? And the answer is in our passage that I read to you in Ezekiel 36, that only God can give us a new heart. Let me just read that again to you. Check this out again. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judge, judgments and do them. So only God can take our heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Your heart of stone right now cannot respond to God. Your heart of stone is hardened. It is insensitive to the movements of God. It is spiritually dead, unable to have a relationship with God. And so what God does by his grace is he takes that heart of stone out of us, puts in us a heart of flesh that can now relate to God, that can now be sensitive to his leading, that can now have an intimate relationship with God. And when that happens, then you have a heart that is about to be completely rewired by God's Spirit that He places in that new heart. That's what God does for us. Now, 
let's think about this. How does, how can God make this possible? The reason he can make this possible for you to receive a new heart, for you to get a heart transplant, is because what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's why you can receive the heart transplant. You have a heart donor. He gave his heart for you. He died on the cross for you, paid the penalty for your sins so that you could be forgiven, reconciled to God, adopted into his family, and God's spirit could come and live inside of you and create in you a new heart that is now receptive to God, that now wants to pursue God, that now seeks God, that now loves God and wants to be about his business. That's how it comes to you. And that's just the beginning. Because for the rest of your life then, the rewiring, renewal process continues to happen. And so let's go back to the heart. What is the heart? Well, it's the center of your intellectual activity. And so when Jesus Christ placed the, places by His Spirit the new heart in you, your thinking really starts to change. You start to think about different things. You start to set your mind on different things. You start to reason differently. You start to see things from the mind's eye differently. That starts to renew and be changed. Let's think about your emotional activity. You start to have new desires and affections when Christ in you is rewiring this new heart that he's given you, right? You start to desire different things. You want to please him, right? Sin becomes uglier and uglier and uglier and when you think about it it is more it makes you sad you can no longer celebrate it laugh it off joke about it it's mm, i hate to see that in myself and other people moral activity got got to repair your moral activity you really are, start to be able to truly discern what is right and wrong you, you're able now to discern god's will that's what happens with this new heart and then your volitional activity, you actually start to make wise decisions based on God's will and his truth. And so, why, to answer uh, the question that Millie uh, proposed uh, to me, which is fantastic, why would you want a new heart? Because it's this kind of heart, a renewed heart that is now more and more increasingly functioning the way God has designed it, that's the sort of heart that will truly be able to love God well and love others as you love yourself. Without the new heart, you will always be struggling mightily to do that. And in fact, you're not really going to want to do that. That's why we should desire the new heart. Now, here's a question that uh, I think comes up is if God is the one who gives you a new heart and he is working um, to bring about renewal in the deepest part of you, like, do we have a role in all this? What part do we play? And the answer is you do have a role in it um, because when you're given a new heart, you can still sin. You're still capable of sinning. Um, you can still choose to defy God. The difference now is, though, when you do it, like, there's this, there's a deep, like, grief that, that comes with that. Um, because in your heart, you know, in your new heart, you want to please God. Um, and so when you act 
you know, out of alignment with it, there's this godly sorrow that, that comes over you that reorients you back um, to where you need to be. But you can still sin with your new heart. And so what's really important that for you to participate in the growth of your new heart is you got to set your mind on the gospel. you got to set your mind on God's truth. you got to be here with people in his church hearing the gospel represented to you, hearing the truth of God's word being preached and proclaimed over you. Because as we pray and as we engage God's word, these means of grace, God uses these habits to more fully form Christ in us. So they're really important. So that's your role, is to engage in these new habits, to persist in them, to struggle with them. Sometimes if you're learning a new habit, you're going to be clumsy at it at first, right? But you continue to engage, and what you find is that God, as you do that, as you partner with Him, He does the heavy lifting. He does the heavy lifting. And you're doing it not to earn salvation. No, you're doing it because you already have it, and you're working out your salvation. That's what you're doing. And so, that's what the heart is. That's why we need a new heart. That's how we can get a new heart, which is, by the way, I don't know if I made this clear. And Well, this is how I'll wrap it up. Um, so how you get a new heart, only God can give it to you. And then why do you want it? It's what's going to enable you to live the life that you were created and designed to, which is love for God and love for, love for people. Um, so the question I have for you to wrap this up is, through repentance and faith, have you received God's spirit that will make your heart new? Have you received Christ to come and live inside of you to give you a new heart and to continue to allow that heart to grow? Have you received Christ through repentance and faith? Have you said to God, like, my heart is wicked. I can't fix it. Only you can fix it. Come in, make it new, and may it grow. Make it grow in the newness that you, that you can give to it. If you have... Are you grateful for this new heart? Are you grateful, like Brandon said, for this new heart? Because you have desires and thoughts in a way of life and decision-making you would never have apart from Christ in you by His Spirit. Are you grateful? Uh, also, do you want other people to experience receiving a new heart from God? That's one of the telltale signs that you indeed have that new heart, is that you want other people to experience it and receive it themselves. Is that in you? If your thoughts aren't changing, if your affections and desires aren't changing, if your decision-making is not changing, you have to ask the question, have I really received a new heart? Nobody who receives the new heart that Christ gives stays the same. That new heart works itself out into different choices that lead to different behaviors. And so I encourage you to consider that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the great heart surgeon, that you can, that you can give us a new heart that beats for you. Lord, thank you that uh, that's something we don't have to earn, that we simply receive it in grace. 
as we come to you humbly declaring our desperate need to be made new at the very core of us, the command center of our life. We thank you for your tremendous gift. And Lord, as this new heart continues to grow stronger, um, help us to partner with you in those habits by which you use Holy Spirit to shape us. May we be diligent in those habits. May we, may we be disciplined with the grace-empowered discipline uh, to continue to meet with you because it's in your face as we behold your glory that we are being progressively transformed into your likeness and practice and word, thought, and deed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.